So we've been in a study on biblical worldview, and over the last couple months, we've thought together about a variety of topics, uh, how we think, the sanctity of life, gender, economics, or economics, I don't remember, uh, self-image, marriage, education, and last time we saw social justice. Well, today we're going to be thinking about the biblical worldview of, of music. And as we begin, let's first briefly think about worldview again as a way of review. Roger Cryan broke it down this way in the, in the first session, at least I think, uh, Roger, I hope this doesn't butcher what you presented. Um, worldview is a framework of ideas for understanding the world and for living in it. So note the twofold purpose of worldview, for understanding our world and for living in it. So we want to develop a biblical framework of ideas and beliefs. That's, that's kind of like having a pair of glasses with grids on them. And we can look around and see what lines up with the, that grid and what doesn't. And of course, that grid is God's Word. So if we have an understanding about what God says about a certain topic, we can look around and say, oh, that does not line up with what I'm seeing in God's Word. Or, oh, that, that does line up with what God has revealed to us. So having a clearly defined worldview will help us to rightly understand our world. And I think this is probably what the writer to the Hebrews had in mind when he said, solid food is for the mature who through constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Constant use of the Word of God will help us to understand our world better and to understand this is, this is right, this is wrong. So let's think about the second purpose of worldview. It's not just for understanding our world, but also for living in it. And these are very closely related because how we understand affects how we live. In other words, what we believe affects what we do. So for example, if I believe there's gold buried in my backyard, I will act on that. I will dig it up. If I believe a chair will hold me, I'll sit in it. If I don't believe it will hold me, I won't sit in it. What we believe affects what we do. So you can see the importance of having beliefs that are based on truth. Why do I think there's gold in my backyard? Is it because I had a dream or I have a gut feeling it must be there? Or is it because I've called someone in with a metal detector that finds gold? I think they have those. And he's going around my yard and it beeps and he says, Charlie, in this five square foot area, there's definitely gold down there. I'll get my shovel and start digging. Of course, after I call 811. <laughs> well, praise the Lord, He doesn't leave us to dreams or gut feelings about how we establish our framework of beliefs on different subjects. Uh, he's given us His thoughts, His perfect wisdom in the Scriptures. 2 Peter 2, 1, I'm sorry, 2 Peter 1, 4 says, 
His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So we have what we need for life and godliness. Where does it come from? Through our knowledge of him. Understanding what God thinks gives us everything we know, need to know to live in this world. We hear this in Paul's prayer for the Philippians. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best. There's the understanding, our world. And may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. There's the living in it. So that's what these classes on worldview have been about. Understanding, increasing our knowledge of what God thinks about these subjects so that we will live right. It's truth for life. Well, today we're going to be looking at a biblical worldview of music. And so here's the definition we'll be working through this morning. And I'll just kind of highlight. Ooh, it got chopped off a little. Um, I'll highlight different uh, areas as we go through it. Music is an everlasting good gift from God that reflects his image and is to be used to bring glory to God in personal worship, in corporate worship, and in the enjoyment of it as a gift from God. So first of all, music as a a good gift from God. Like all good gifts that we've been talking about in this series, God is the creator. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above and coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. And this is, this is true of music. Just think of all the ways that you've been blessed and benefited from good music throughout your life. How much joy and enjoyment, relaxation, exhilaration. Some of you enjoy playing an instrument. Um, think of all the times you've praised God and benefited from praising God by singing to him with his people, or drawn near to God in a song, in your personal uh, devotions. Uh, Stan shared with me this week that Christian music has been such a help to him in in his difficult recovery. Um, It's hard to imagine life without music. What a good gift it is from God. Well, when did music start? When was that first musical note sung? In a chronological reading of the Bible, the first mention of man's involvement with music is in Genesis 4.17. It says, Jubal was the father of all who played the harp and flute. The bottom line is, we don't know when the first musical note was sung, but we do have biblical evidence that it was not sung by man In fact, it was actually before man was even here. Job 38, the Lord speaking to Job, and he's correcting him about his wrong view that God should have to answer to him. And this is what God said to Job. Were you there when I laid the earth's foundations? So he's taking Job back to creation. And he goes on to say, Who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? I realize it's not the main point of this verse, but notice that music, singing was already there at creation. 
music predates man. How boastful it is for man to think that man created music. So next, music reflects God's image. So God is the creator of music, and we can see his fingerprints all over it. And that's actually what makes it a good gift that we enjoy. His character is embedded in it. So we can enjoy God's image in music, and we can bear God's image in how we use it. Let's look at what we can see of God's character in music. First, creativity. Songwriters create songs. God created music. Romans 4.17 says, God calls into existence the things that do not exist. And that's what He did with music, even before He created the universe. And yet God gives people gifts to take those tools of music that He's created and to form new songs, to create new songs. And so part of God's image that we see and experience in music is creativity. Next, emotion. God has strong emotions, and He created music with the ability to affect our emotions. Here's a few examples. A mother softly singing to her baby to put her to sleep. Similarly, a calming effect of music when when David played the harp uh, to calm King Saul. I'm sure every one of us has had a feeling of nostalgia when we've listened to a song that takes us back uh, to when we were younger. And we can almost envision the place where we were when we were hearing or singing that song. Another example, Jesus in Matthew 17 refers to songs that make you want to dance or songs that make you want to mourn. Uh, They affect our feelings. Even a particular instrument can elicit elicit an emotional response. There is one percussion instrument that I think always produces an emotional response of joy, and that's sleigh bells. Who can listen to Christmas music and not feel joy? We have a a grandson who likes to watch movies. I know that's really rare. Um, And whenever there's a scene that's slightly scary, he does this. Why does he do that? Well, there's music that's producing fear, even even more than the picture. Um, If you've ever watched a scary movie without the music, it's, it's not very scary with the volume turned down. Um, so music often creates an emotional response different notes interact with each other in different ways depending on the spacing between those notes even people who aren't musically trained can tell or feel the difference between a minor chord and a major chord Cindy will you help us a minor chord is sad A major chord is happy. So Cindy's going to play a couple chords for us back to back, and we're going to take a test and see if we can identify which one is happy, which one is sad, the first or the second. Hmm. 
One more time, just to make sure we got it. <coughs> Which one is sad, first or second? Okay, you passed. Good job. Um, isn't it amazing that God has designed sound waves of musical notes traveling through the air into our ear based on the, the spread between those notes? And in that case, it was, it was one half step one note away, and yet it produces a totally different emotional response in us. That's amazing. That's the, the emotion that God has put into music. Harmony is another way we see God in music, his image implanted in music. That's where two different pitches or notes are sung or played, or not just two, where different notes or pitches are sung or played together at the same time. So Cindy's going to play three notes individually and then play those same three notes together. Thank you. Harmony reflects the Trinity. When you hear a chord of three notes played like we just did, those three notes played together, they're sounding through each other. There's three distinct sounds, and yet they're making one sound together. And that, that is just an audible reminder of, of our God, our triune God. Next, order. So you may or may not be aware that music has a lot of math in it, a lot of order and structure I googled, why are there 12 notes in an octave? And the answer I got, it was so deep into math that I didn't understand any of the sentences in the four-page explanation. I mean, it was deep. And I've watched YouTube videos of musicians that just blow my mind as they talk about uh, the chord structures and how they relate to each other mathematically. And why am I talking about this? Well, I think it's good to recognize that as intricate and as complex as our music is, it's just scratching the surface of what God has created. Western music, I'm not talking about country and Western, Rick. I'm talking about Western hemisphere. Okay, Western music has taken an endless number of notes and broken them down to just 12. Okay, and, and let me demonstrate. Uh, 12 notes in an octave. I'll sing an octave. Okay, that's an octave. There's thousands of notes per pitches in that. Our, our written Western music has broken it down into just 12. Because if it broke it down into a thousand, it would be too complex and we couldn't grasp it. And so it just reminds us that God's ways and thoughts are so far above ours. And I think that shows up in, in music. So God, God's image is stamped on music by creativity, emotion, harmony, order. And there's one more way I'd like to point out that music bears God's image, and that is God himself sings. 
God not only created music, he enjoys it. He participates in it. Our God himself sings. Let's look at some biblical evidence of this. Uh, Zephaniah 3.17 says, and I'm sorry, I'm not going to give you time to turn to them. Um, You can if you want, but uh, I'm just going to read. Zephaniah 3.17, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He he, He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Isn't that something to think of God rejoicing over you personally with singing? And the fact that music existed before creation and the fact that God expresses His joy, His delight in singing would lead me to believe or at least to say it's highly likely that our triune God enjoyed music within the fellowship of the Trinity even before creation. Remember what we saw recently in in John 17 on Sunday night a few weeks ago. The Father glorifies the Son. The Son glorifies the Father. So I can't help but think that one of the ways they do that is to sing songs about each other and to each other. God sings over His children. Jesus also sings. Psalm 22 is a prophetic psalm that shows the suffering of Jesus and the glories that would follow. In verse 22 of of Psalm 22, he says, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the congregation, I will praise you. Now, prophecy can be hard to understand. Is he talking, is that talking about David or Jesus? Well, we have biblical commentary uh, of this verse in Hebrews 2, and it's definitely talking at least about Jesus, uh, where it says, he says in, in Hebrews 2.11, Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. Verse 12, he, Jesus, says, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the, congre- in the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praises. So Jesus praises the Lord. He rejoices in our salvation that He's bringing many sons to glory. Another similar example of Jesus singing is in Romans 15. And again, it's quoting Psalm 18 that Jesus was singing. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing hymns to your name. Matthew 26, and it's a parallel passage in Mark 14 uh, tells us that, uh, the setting is after the Last Supper. And it says, When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. As we have seen already, Jesus sang the Psalms, didn't he? Uh, one of the Psalms that was commonly sung to celebrate Passover was Psalm 118. Can you imagine Jesus the night He is going to die singing these words from Psalm 118 with his disciples. I shall not die but live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. The Holy Spirit is also very active in singing. It's the Holy Spirit that inspired the Psalms and other songs written down in Scripture. It's the Holy Spirit that helps us to sing 
Ephesians 5:17, be filled with the Spirit. And what will happen when you are? You speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. As we think about how the image of God is reflected in music and how we can bear this image, one important way that we do this is by singing. He sings, so we should sing. Next, let's look at the truth that music is to be used to bring glory to God. And we're going to look at three ways we can do this in personal worship, in corporate worship, and in the enjoyment of music as a good gift from God. So we're going to start with this last one that I mentioned, the enjoyment of music as a good gift from God. And I want to ask, does the Bible give us any any use of music other than direct worship of God? In other words, is it okay? And actually, we don't want to just be okay, do we? Is it good? Is it good to listen to songs or sing songs not written specifically for thoughts on God? Songs about everyday life, love, joy, songs with no lyrics at all, instrumental music like classical or jazz. Well, we've already cited verses about David playing calming music for King Saul or Jesus mentioning that that there's music that makes you want to dance or makes you want to mourn. And I recognize that just because these are mentioned doesn't mean God's putting his stamp of approval on them. Um, Really, the Bible doesn't give us a list of what music we should listen to and what we shouldn't. But like so many areas in life, the Bible is full of wisdom, wise principles to guide our decisions, and that includes our decisions on what music we should listen to. Like everything in the world, music has been affected by the fall. You can turn on the radio and hear it in an instant. A man's taken this good gift of music made to draw us to God, and it's made to exalt wickedness or foolishness. So God's wise commands need to be our guide in our selection of music. And I'm going to give us just a few. Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. We've got to be careful what we take in through our senses. It goes straight into our heart, and what we put into our heart affects how well our heart will function for God. So songs that have lyrics that are glorifying immorality need to be rejected, need to be off the playlist. Romans 12.2, do not let the world squeeze you into its mold. There's pressure exerted on us to feel culturally relevant, to be in. We don't want to have to say, uh, I don't listen to that or I don't watch that. Um, We need to dare to be a Daniel, a Shadrach, a Meshach, a Bednego, who who stood when the rest of the world was bowing. Hmm? To music. Very good. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Yes. Philippians 4.8 is another command and principle in guiding us in our music selection. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, 
think about such things. So, can a song that's not written for worship be true, noble, right, or pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy? I say yes, it can. There are many songs about the joy of living, the beauty of nature, of friendship, even a pain of a broken heart that help us to emotionally connect with life and instrumental songs that can help us relax or exhilarate us. I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them bloom for me and you. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. And we're not going to sing that in our worship service this morning. But it's something that we can enjoy as a Christian, as a child of God. And we can connect those joys to God as a Christian. That's what the unbelieving world can't do. I think it's wonderful that God causes unbelievers to write good music that his children can enjoy. It shows his, his sovereignty over the hearts of men and over music. And when we enjoy music as a good gift from God, it's pleasing to him. He's our father. He's given us a good gift. He wants to see us enjoy it. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whatever you do, eating or drinking or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. One other verse that I think is a good one to give us guidance in our uh, selecting what music we listen to is Hebrews 12.1. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Notice the two categories. The things that hinder and the sin. What does that tell you about things that hinder? Two categories. Things that hinder, sin. What does that tell you about these things that hinder? That's right. They're not necessarily, he's not talking about bad things. Uh, things that are bad in, in and of themselves. There can be good things that we are involved in, but are they keeping us from the best things? So, it's about proportion here. Um, we need to get rid of things that are keeping us from the best things. Too much of a good thing will keep us from what is best. So while there are a few verses in the Bible that talk about the use of music other than worship, by far what God talks about most is using music to directly worship Him, either personally or corporately. So let's think about the, mus uh, the use of music to worship God. And first we'll, we'll think for a minute about what worship is. Worship could be defined as the response we have when we sincerely focus our thoughts on God as He is revealed in Scripture. So it's a response. So we say we've come here to worship today. And we can, we can sing and we can pray. We can hear a sermon. We can give our offering. And we can walk out the door having never worshipped. What is God looking for in worship? Well, he tells us in John 4. He's looking for spirit 
and he's looking for truth. So worship in the Spirit, according to the Spirit, uh, is to be sincere, to be all in, to be fully engaged in, in what you're doing. And the balance to that worship in spirit is worship in truth. According to the Scriptures and what they reveal to us about God, one without the other is not worship. Let's think about music now uh, in our private or personal worship. God's good gift of music is to be part of our personal worship. Do you sing to God as part of your private worship? He tells us to. David says many times, I will sing to the Lord. Psalm 5.11 says, Let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Psalm 32.11 says, Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing all you who are upright in heart. There's no instruction here to wait until you're in the congregation to do this. Worship is, uh, singing is to be part of our individual worship to God, not just reserved for times when we gather together. Well, why sing as part of our worship? Well, it's pretty obvious, right? God told us to. We just saw that. But is that really what, what starts us singing? Here's an illustration that John Piper gave that I think is really helpful. Suppose on my anniversary I bring home a dozen long-stemmed roses for Noel. When she meets me at the door, I hold out the roses, and she says, Oh, Johnny, they're beautiful. Thank you. And she gives me a big hug. Then suppose I hold up my hand and say matter-of-factly, Don't mention it. It was my duty. What happens? It's not the, is not the exercise of duty a noble thing? Do not we honor those we dutifully serve? No, not much. Not if there's no heart in it. Dutiful roses are a contradiction of terms. If I am not moved by spontaneous affection for her as a person, the roses do not honor her. In fact, they belittle her. They're a very thin covering for the fact that she does not have the worth or beauty in my eyes to kindle affection. All I can muster is a calculated expression of marital duty. And I hope we see how that connects to worship. The real duty of worship is not the outward duties of praying and, and singing and hearing the word and giving our offering. It's that inward duty, the, the command, delight yourself in the Lord. And the Psalms show us how to delight ourselves in the Lord when they, they say, I will sing, and then he'll give a reason so many times. Um, and notice, none of these reasons are because it's my duty. Okay? Uh, we're going to, several of you have verses that I've handed out. Um, we'll read those and listen for the reasons that we sing. Listen for what starts our hearts singing. Uh, first one is Psalm 13. 13, 5 and 6. I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord, for he has been good to me. 
Okay, unfailing love, salvation, His goodness. Psalm 18. You exalted me above my foes. From violent men you rescued me. Therefore, I will praise you among the nations, O Lord. I will sing praises to your name. Okay, He's rescued us. Psalm 30. Psalm 30, 11 through 12. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy that my heart may sing to you and not be silent. My Lord God, I will give you thanks forever. Okay, he's clothed us with joy. Psalm 57. I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples, for great is your love. Reaching to the heavens, your faithfulness reaches to the skies. His love and faithfulness. Psalm 59. I will sing of your strength in the morning. I will sing of your love. For you are my fortress, my refuge in times of trouble. All right. Strength, love. He's our fortress, our refuge. Psalm 101. I will sing of your love and justice. To you, O Lord, I will sing praise. All right. His love, his justice will start us singing. Uh, Psalm 104. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and the smoke, I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Okay, his glory, his works. These are the things that start us singing. It's delighting in God that causes us to sing. And what pleases God about our singing? It's, it's not how we sound. Uh, what pleases Him is that our minds are thinking about Him and we're, we're wanting to express and rejoice in Him and express our praise to Him. And that overflows on our lips in a song. Now, I'm not going to pretend that there aren't days when I don't feel the delight in God that I should. You know, I say... These are the things that start us singing. Well, it's not always that way. I don't always feel that delight in God. So what am I to do? Avoid my time with Him because it might be hypocritical? Um, no. Those are the very times more than ever that I need to come to Him in honesty and say, Lord, my heart is cold and it's not because of You. Will You light that flame in my heart, that, that flame of love to you, and it's as I sing or read or pray or meditate that he often does that. So, yeah, we need to use the means of grace to start that delight if it's not already there. Let's turn our thoughts to glorifying God through public worship, corporate worship. I was glad when they said to me, let us come, let us go into the house of the Lord. Public worship is about being in His presence in a special way that's even better than our private worship. Where do I get that? Public worship is being in His presence in a special way that is even better than private worship. Psalm 87.2 says, The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. So the gates of Zion represent the gathered people in Jerusalem. The dwelling places of Jacob represent individuals or families. 
So in other words, the Lord delights in the public worship of His gathered people even more than our private worship as individuals or families. Public worship is the climax of our experience with God. And since singing is part of this, I would conclude that the highest possible use of music is singing God's praises with God's people on His day. What is it that elevates singing God's praises together? What is it about that 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 makes it so wonderful? Well, first of all, together, okay? It's lots of people singing God's praises from their heart is better than one person singing their praises to God. He gets more praise. Come, uh, Psalm 95, come, let us sing to the... With joy to the Lord, let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before Him with thanksgiving and extol Him with music and song. Psalm 34.3 Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. So this multiplying of praises makes public worship. It it elevates it. What else makes public worship? Worship better than private. I should say even better than private. We sing to, when we sing together, we, we edify each other. Okay? We can't do that in our private worship in the same way. Um, Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. So when we're singing together, we're reminding each other the things that we're singing about are true and we're building each other up. So it's great to to multiply our voices in praise to God. It's great to edify others. Singing God's praises together also unites our hearts around Him. We agree together as we sing the same words at the same time with harmonies that not only sound good, but reflect the harmony that God has given among His people. So music unites us. Let's think for a minute about music and unity. If singing together unites people, why is it that so many times music is a divisive issue in the church? I mean, we'd, we would have to probably go all the way back to the Reformers uh, to find agreement on music in the church, Right? Actually not. Um, There was a lot of difference. Even among reformers, you'd think, oh, they're like-minded. They're going to think the same. Well, Zwingli, a Swiss reformer, was a trained musician. He, He understood the power of music, but he felt it had no place in worship. He believed that silence was the answer for hearing God's word and contemplation. John Calvin also knew the power of music and carefully restricted its use. Lyrics were limited to the psalms. There were no harmonies, no choirs, except for a group of children who led the congregational singing. Martin Luther has been called the father of congregational singing. He knew that the doctrines and theologies could be taught by singing hymns and that young people especially would benefit from exposure to wholesome music. He said... 
that he wrote songs in four-part harmony, quote, for no other reason than that he wanted to attract the youth away from the love songs and carnal pieces and to give them something wholesome to, be, uh, to learn instead. So, very different ideas about worship and music. And we should all be aware that music has the potential to divide. I've been referring a lot to the Psalms this morning. The Psalms are songs, right? God preserved the words of those songs. He did not choose to preserve the tune of that song. Any idea why? Why why didn't he? He could have. I think it's because it allows for variety in music. A a tune can change. A, A song can actually be improved with a better tune. There are plenty of differences represented in this room. Age, gender, nationality, occupation, hobbies, interests. So why are we all here? We're all pretty different. What, what are we all doing in this same room? Well, we're here because of something that we have in common that is more important than any differences we have. We're here because we love Jesus. We're here because we want to see Him exalted. We want to worship the one true God. He's broken down all the barriers that these differences can create. In fact, if we had more differences, if we had more Uh, nationalities represented here. Would it not exalt the way God unifies His worshipers? Some churches have separate worship services for different worship styles, and that's usually revolved around music. And I think, what a sad thing that, that God's people would be divided based on musical preference. I know within our body there are differences in musical taste and preferences, But God has made singing one of the ways He wants us to worship Him because He enjoys the unity that He creates. He enjoys that He is the primary reason that we're coming together. I'm going to skip down to one word that I haven't talked about yet, and that is everlasting. Music is not just something that's going to pass away uh, like other parts of God's creation, our bodies, nature. It will be renewed. What biblical evidence do we have of this? David says more than once in this psalm, I will sing of your love forever. That's pretty clear. Music isn't going away. Um, I just want to close with a look at Revelation 4 and 5, and we won't take time to read through it, but it's a vision of heaven that God gave to John, and I want you to try to picture what is happening in your mind as I go through it. It's centered around the throne of God, and that throne is surrounded by 24 other thrones, and there are 24 elders with gold crowns, and there's flashes of lightning and peals of thunder. And in the center around the throne, there's four living creatures. And praise begins with these four living creatures saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And then the 24 elders fall down and they cast their crowns before Him. And they say, 
You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For You created all things, and by Your will they were created and have their being. And then the singing begins by the four creatures and the 24 elders who have harps. And they're singing, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Because You were slain, and with Your blood You purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. And it just keeps building. Many angels join in. 10,000 times 10,000 are added to this choir. And in a loud voice, they sing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then finally, it, it comes to the, the apex where everyone in all creation is singing uh, things on the earth things under the earth, things in the sea and all that is in them, and they all sing to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. This is where music is headed. And this is where worship of God is headed. And why are they worshiping? Because God is worthy. It said over and over, you are worthy. It's the right thing to do in His presence. And no one in this account is struggling with wondering thoughts or thinking about what they're going to do later. May God help us. One day our hearts will be made perfect to worship Him like this. Well, I hope, I hope the, the lenses through which you view music are sharpened a little bit, not only so that we can look around and say, oh yeah, that lines up or that doesn't, but so that we can look in and say, does that line up with what God, God's good design for music? I've gone too long. You're dismissed.